You're listening to Dialed In, a National Club Golfer podcast. everyone welcome to a very special edition of dialed in we have got quite the Ryder cup preview show for you later on in the program we will hear from one of podrick harrington's vice captains graham mcdowell you'll also hear from 2006 Ryder cup winning skipper ian woosnam and our betting expert barry Plummer will be on hand to tell you who's going to win at whistling straight this week but first can i introduce our Esteemed colleague Alex Perry, NCG's tour writer to the show. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure to, to be here with you. You could make it sound like a pleasure at least, but anyway. <laughs> um, the best week of the golfing year. Um, we've uh, had to wait quite a long time for this. Two years became three, obviously, because of the pandemic. But now we're on the cusp of the action getting underway at Whistling Straits. And... Uh, Hugely exciting time, not just for us, but for the players as well. Let me put you straight on the spot. What's going to happen? <laughs> um, it's, a very, it's a very good question. First of all, I just want to go back to what you were saying there about that 12-month wait. It really has been worth it, hasn't it? I was, uh, I don't know about you, but I was very much of the uh, opinion that it should have been put back, obviously, due to the, due to the pandemic. Um, no one really, did they really want to see a, a Ryder Cup played with no fans? Even, even one in America. Um, I'm very happy with that decision, very happy that it's finally here. As you say, it is absolutely the, the best week of the year. It's just, it's, it's um, aside from the Masters and the Open, I think it's the one tournament really that we all properly get involved in and we watch it like every single shot. I mean, can you remember the last time you didn't watch a single shot of the Ryder Cup? Um, what do you want to know? Who's going to win? Is that what you want? You want my tip straight out of the blocks? Well, I mean, probably we should wait till the end for that and have that as a conclusion. But I mean, I, I sort of asked you that. Um, I gave you that hospital pass um, <laughs> in the sense of um, it, there is a bit of the unknown here, isn't there? Because of the pandemic, um, we've got uh, a situation where, again, we've had to wait that extra 12 months. So that anticipation for all the American fans in particular will have only increased. I mean, we've all gone through some um, some very um, um, some unbelievable things of the of the last two or three years, and that's happened in America as as well as in UK and across the globe. So, this tournament will certainly be very highly anticipated. Do you think it's got the potential to be a bit boisterous? Well, uh, yes. I mean, I sort of touched on the American fans there, and and they're they're quite boisterous as it is. Um, let alone at a tournament where they've had to wait all this time to, to get out there. Obviously, it's not too far from Chicago, which is obviously a huge sports town. Um, I'm not anticipating it being quite as boisterous as, as Bethpage in, in four years' time. But um, no, Chicago, big sports town. I'm expecting um, a lot of... I mean, we've, we've obviously had it in the past where, where um, American fans have... Uh, oh, how do I put this nicely? Abused our players? Is that the nice way of putting it? Um, obviously, we've had situations where like families of, of our players have like literally been leaving the golf course because they can't listen to the abuse that our players have been taken. Um, 
the players expect it. I like it. I think it's part of the sport. I mean, obviously, as, as long as nothing offensive is happening, it's, I think it's all just part of it. Um, American fans come with that reputation and, and I'm not expecting it anything less. Um, it's going to be a strange one. We saw with the Solheim Cup that it's actually quite odd um, having no away fans there. Obviously, only um, American-based European fans will be there. So um, it's going to be quite strange on that front, I think. But uh, no, oh, I'm just really looking forward to this one. It's going to be so good. Is, is there a sense that the only people that really bang on about this are us? Um, I was I was chatting to Mark James um, at uh, the Welcome to Yorkshire Ian Woosnam Senior Classic at Ilkley uh, last week. James, of course, was the captain at Brookline, the, the now infamous Battle of Brookline in 1999, when things did get rather, right, quite frankly, rather badly out of hand, both in terms of American celebrations at the end and some of the stuff that the players had to go through in the tournament. And, and interestingly, he said, you know, you've just got to get on with it. Basically, he basically said they will heckle, they will be rude, and they will very possibly call the players insulting names, but you have to get on with it. I mean, is, is there a sense of there just being an inevitability about this now, that the Ryder Cup is almost the golfing equivalent of a football match, home and away? Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on it before. I mean, that's kind of what we expect from American sports fans, isn't it? Because that's what they're like. Um, I Can think... we get on a high horse about this, though? I mean, like, Le Golf National three years ago was 8,000 people, you know, doing the doing the big salute and stuff like that. I mean, is, is, is it just to be expected now that these things are going to be loud? I believe that's called the thunderclap. Um, Thank you for putting me right there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, you and I were both at the Golf National. Um, we saw the thunderclap. We saw that incredible first tee, that incredible atmosphere that was created. I mean, look, I, I spent a lot of time out on the golf course that week. I didn't hear anything offensive. I didn't hear anything that made me kind of go, oh, God, that probably shouldn't have been said. I mean, it's all, it's, it, it feels to me like a Ryder Cup on this side of the Atlantic is a bit, a bit, a bit more in the spirit that it should be. Um, everyone's having a good time. Everyone's having a laugh, and and, it, and and it's more like the American players are like the pantomime villains, and and that's how they're treated. Um, whereas obviously there's been some quite sour incidents on that side of the Atlantic. Um, I, I, but again, as I said, I don't really have a problem with it. I'm not getting on my high horse at all. I absolutely love it. I think if I was a European player, we saw uh, Rory McIlroy, for example, at Hazeltine up against Patrick Reed, giving it the fingers round the ears. He absolutely loves it. And I think, you know, Rory McIlroy is going to go up to the likes of Wiesberger and, and Victor Hovland and, and his good friend Shane Lowry, who are the three um, rookies this year. And he's going to say to them, look, you're going to get some stick. Like, just take it in your stride. I mean, these guys, you know, they, they get a bit of stick on the PGA Tour anyway. Um, because, as I said, that's just how American fans are. But I think that, you know, the veterans in the group are going to take these guys aside and say, look, you're going to get some pretty bad stuff said to you. You just have to let it brush. And, and Mark James is right. You just got to take it. You know, it's water off the duck's backs for these guys. And I mean, that's why they get paid millions of pounds to do it. And we don't. Well, let's move from the bleachers to <laughs> the teams themselves, um, both the American and the US team. Lots been said about the American team, it's strength and depth, not a single player outside the world's top 21, although six rookies, so there will be the unknown for a number of that team, no matter um, how many trophies they've won and how, many, how much cash they've had. The European team, by contrast, very, very experienced. 
um, just three rookies. In your opinion, how do the two teams stack up? Well, I think the first thing that Steve Stricker has done is not only has he created a team, as you say, which is uh, very uh, highly ranked in terms of uh, the official world rankings, but he's also picked a team. Uh, I mean, f- first of all, I should say that it's absolutely ludicrous that he just sorted it out that he had six wildcard picks. I mean, that's that, that was a ludicrous decision in itself. But um, it, what it has done is it's allowed him to um, sort of look at what the Europeans have done and, and maybe... Uh, try and mimic that in that um, he's created quite a likable team. Um, you know, he's left out Patrick Reed. I mean, I know there was a lot of talk about the fact that that Reed was um, obviously ill in the run-up to he was ill during the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, right, I'm going was... to challenge you on this. I'm jumping in. I'm going to challenge you on this straight away. Likeable team, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, so you have just jumped in slightly too soon there, Steve. Um, so what I was saying was it's fascinating for me and I wrote about this this week um, in my column that actually if 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 he was picking his team I don't think Kepka and, and DeChambeau would have been in there at all I mean DeChambeau's had this made this utterly bizarre decision to play in the or to sorry to compete in the in the world long drive championship which just so happens to start the day after the Ryder Cup finishes like what is he thinking happy to come back to that Kepka, meanwhile, is in Golf Digest saying, basically, I mean, I just don't like team sports. I don't get it. I don't get to have 15 naps a day. I mean, the whole thing is utterly ludicrous. The fact that we haven't heard anything from from the from Team Europe, apart from the likes of Tommy Fleetwood just saying the, the things like we're a family. Um, we love we love there's nothing better than being in a European team room. I mean, I think that speaks volumes in itself. But yeah, just to. Just to defend myself on this likable team thing that um, you've jumped on me there, like you t- you take Kepka and um, and Deshambo out of that team, and actually I think they are quite likable. There's sort of there's players like Tony Fennell, Daniel Berger. Uh, obviously, everyone loves Jordan Spieth. Justin Thomas is a well liked player. I mean, this is this is a this is a team of well liked players. Like people like us can like say to them, well, actually, yeah. We follow these guys on the PGA Tour week in, week out, and we really like seeing them play well. We really like seeing them winning. Um, there's, it doesn't really feel like there's a villain in there this year, even with DeChambeau and Kepka. It doesn't really feel like there's a, a Patrick Reed-style villain in this team. Yeah, let's come back to Kepka and DeChambeau, because I'd, I'd like to drill in a little bit more on that. DeChambeau's attitude over the last couple of weeks towards this competition, like feels much like Phil Mickelson putting in a new set of clubs the week before the cup. Now, obviously there's varying reasons for why, why this stuff happened, but um, to then come out, to then come out in media and say, my hands are wrecked. doesn't really inspire. If if I was Steve Stricker, I wouldn't really be inspired with confidence and the same with Kepka. I mean, how do you pair these two um, with members of that team let's say that a lot of these uh, american pairings are already locked up i mean we're pretty sure aren't we that spieth and jt will play together and so on i mean you can go through the list but you know kepka has won four majors dechambeau is one of the hottest players on the planet and has been and who do you pair these two with because they seem to be such individualists and so focused on what they're doing rather than the team ethos i mean how do you get around that because you can't bench them for two days and play them in the singles can you they're too good for that no, not at all. Um, if I knew who I was pairing these guys with, I would I would be Ryder Cup captain. But it, look, Kepka. Came, the thing that Kepka said was he came out and said, like 
it's the complete unknown of you know you you you're approaching a tee shot and someone's put you in a bad position. I mean, certainly you wouldn't be pairing them together because if you're putting Bryson off the tee, he's just going to be sticking Kepka in the rough the whole time. I mean, he won't be very far from the green, but he'll be in the rough. Um, yeah. So for me, I think it's if I, <laughs> I think actually this genuinely, and I, I sort of um, I floated this to a friend the other day, and we actually quite liked the idea that. Um, that the captains should be able to have i mean this is just like a couple of beers in the in the pub talk it's obviously something that's never going to happen but um as we know it but we thought it'd be quite funny if we just had it so that the captains could have like one veto on the qualifiers so for example steve stricker could go do you know what i don't want the in the team even though he's qualified and i'm going to leave him out kepka's come out and said that he doesn't care if he's in the same team as the because it's business. It's nothing to do with um, what they're doing, what who they are as people, and how they feel about each other as people. Deshambo's come out and said, "Look, we're never going to be paired together, so it doesn't really matter. Like we're going to be in the same team room, and that's about it. We're never going to be out on the course at the same time as each other, which is absolutely fair. Look, if the USA win, or if Kepka wins a point, or Deshambo wins a point, these guys aren't going to be hugging each other off the back of eighteen or whatever, are they? So, there's been plenty well, of yeah. In European teams in the past, it's just been hidden. I mean, let me come back to you about Kepka. This is my worry about Kepka, right? Um, so here's a guy, uh, I don't know when he did the interview with Golf Digest, but here's a guy that, you know, coming up to one of the biggest events in world sport is basically saying, I don't really get the Ryder Cup. You know, he wasn't having, I mean, if you read the whole story, you know, he's not massively piling into it or anything like that. You know, he's not being disrespectful to the tournament. He's just saying it doesn't suit his individual tendencies. That's what I read from it. But but that is a worrying thing for me in a team event. When you add that to the fact that he's crocked, right? Or, or at least if he's not, there is a question mark over whether he is injured or not. If things start spiralling quickly, don't go as he wants them to go, then where do they go? Where does he go from there? Where does Stricker go from there? And, and it's the same with Deschambeau. You know, Deschambeau was... Um, how can I put this, um, hardly revelatory at Le Golf National. Um, and now he comes in, obviously, in 2021 as one of the hottest players on the planet with justification for what he's done. But he's got this other focus, which is clearly a big focus for him. It's clearly an important competition for him straight after the event. You know, if, they, if he goes out four balls, I can't see DeChambeau playing in foursomes. If he goes out in four balls and gets stuffed the first day, then there's immediate question marks about the pair of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Stricker is going to take any crap, to be honest with you. I think that if they if these guys go out on the first day and they don't perform, then they'll just be benched until the singles. I don't think he has a problem with that. Um, like you say, that they're obviously too good. In terms of the Kepka. Um, interview I, I just if if that was a European player I'd be absolutely fuming as a fan um, if I was captain I'd be fuming if I was one of his teammates I'd be fuming I, it, it's an interview that you give I mean fair play to golf uh, to Matthew Rudy from Golf Digest for getting that out of him because absolutely astonishing piece of work but that I mean that's an interview you give after your Ryder Cup career is over I mean just wait a couple of years or wait four years until you're not playing in the Ryder Cup anymore and then slag it off. Don't slag it off the week before. It's absolutely astonishing that he would say that. Um, like I said, I'd be absolutely... Like if Tommy Fleetwood came out and said that he, do, he doesn't really like the Ryder Cup, it's, I'd be fuming. I, I'd be calling for him to be off the team. Is that, I mean, Fleetwood wouldn't say something like that. Who would say it from our team? 
that's a good question. That's perhaps best not to speculate. But yeah, they usually get their digs in post-tournament, don't they? Ala Mickelson, and well, yeah. it's quite interesting for them to do it beforehand. Let's turn to the European team. One of the chief worries. Um, if you look at what some pundits are saying about Podrick's Harrington side, is they could probably some of them could probably be in some better form um, going into the tournament. That said, it's a hugely experienced side, many of whom who've been in this position before in um, enemy territory, if that's the right word to put it, over in America and, and have performed. Um, how do you feel things are stacking up for Harrington's men? I'm not. Look, I I know it's easy to be concerned about these things, um, especially with sort of how the um, Ryder Cup tends to pan out, especially how it favours the home team. But look, I mean, uh, you run through the team. Paul Casey's in good form. I'm going to go in alphabetical order for you, Steve. Paul Casey's in good form. Fitzpatrick? Question marks over him. I, I sort of feel a bit sorry for him. He he qualified for 2016, obviously when we didn't do very well at Hazeltine, and then he's qualified for another away. Um, Ryder, he's he's one of those players you think you get him in a home Ryder Cup and he'll tear it up but he perhaps isn't best suited to an away Ryder Cup Fleetwood's not in the best form um, but obviously comes off the back of that uh, incredible um, performance in Paris Sergio Garcia, don't need to say anything else about him uh, Tyrrell Hatton's in horrible form he's probably the one I'm most concerned about he's not in great form um, didn't tear it apart he was sort of it was a strange one, really, wasn't it, in Paris? Because we sort of thought, oh, you know, Hatton and John Rahm are the two players absolutely made for um, for the Ryder Cup. And I think they combined for like two points between them. Is that right? Yeah, I think they both had one point in Paris. Um, Victor Hovland plays all his golf over there. Shane Lowry's the Open Championship, plays most of his golf on that side of the Atlantic. Rory McIlroy's Rory McIlroy, not concerned about him. Ian Poulter... Um, I mean, I know that you and I have differing views on whether Poulter should have gone or not. Um, I think of the four players that um, that Harrington was seemingly picking between, um, I think I would have taken Rose over him simply because Rose is... OK, Poulter's probably in slightly better form over the last few months and obviously is, both of them have tremendous Ryder Cup records, but I just think that... Um, there's something a bit more. There's, there's just something that feels a bit more reliable about um, about Rose. Um, and I, but I know you wanted Porter in, didn't you? Well, these are the questions, aren't they, on which captaincies are um, defined? I'm going to dodge your question for a moment because we're going to hear now from one of Podrick Harrington's vice captains, Graham McDowell, who is talking about the prospect of captaincy and and what that can do to a player's legacy. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love the opportunity. Um, you know, be, being a Ryder Cup captain is a really interesting one because, you know, you know, I look at Padraig Harrington, for example, you know, three major championships, phenomenal career. Um, if he goes and loses the Ryder Cup at Whistling Strait, like just hypothetically, I mean, listen, I hope we win. I hope we beat, you know, kill them. But um, if he was to lose the Ryder Cup, does that like, does that have an effect on who he is and what his legacy is in this game? It's a strange one because, you know, I feel like it has affected the legacy of maybe some captains, you know, American and European. Um, I, and I'm not sure that's fair. You know, it's Tom Watson at Glen Hills, like, you know, like he's a, he's a, he's a champion. You know, he's one of the best players that ever played the sport. Like, you know, 
the way he handled the team room came under a huge amount of negativity. Like, end of the day, it's about the 12 guys. It's about who holds the pots, right? I mean, what were you, the captain sorry, has... Sorry to interrupt. What were you... When I was there, when that, I was in that press conference when that Tom Watson-Phil Mickelson thing blew up. Like, from a European perspective, what were you thinking? Because it just feels like something like that would never happen in, in our team room, as it were. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think we would... Uh, I don't... I mean, listen, I probably wasn't until the next morning when we heard about it, really. We probably, we were probably kind of, um, you know, get, getting our party on around the time the press conference was going on. But, um, I mean, I, I think, listen, it's impossible to comment on what went on within the team room to prompt that type of response from a team. But, uh, you know, to me, it comes down to the 12 guys, not the goods on the golf course the captain creates a culture and an environment and you know puts the parents there and to kind of g the boys up a little at the end of the day it comes down to uh the golfing hole you don't get the job and you know but uh, like i say i wasn't in the team room i don't know what happened but um it goes back to that whole thing you know do <laughs> i want to be a Ryder cup captain yeah you know you know i would just it, it always kind of has that three percent element of doubt like if I was to lose, what does that mean? What does that mean for me and who I'm, you know, who I'm remembered as in the sport, you know, but, uh, you know, thankfully I think, uh, you know, a guy like Porter Harrington, for example, his playing career is his playing career. Whatever happens at Whistling Straits, like I say, I hope I'm there. I'm hoping playing, hope we beat them. It'll be phenomenal. Um, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have any bearing. And I, and I know it won't because he'll be a great captain. Win or lose, he'll be a great captain. And, uh, you know, I just kind of, I, I hate the situations like the Tom Watsons, you know, because he's a great, he's a great player and he's a great champion. And he's a great gentleman. And uh, who, who knows what went on? Tough, tough to say. So some very interesting stuff there from McDowell. And um, Harrington has talked about this himself, the idea that his reputation might be not tainted in some way, but it puts a question mark on a career if, if you are a losing Ryder Cup captain. I mean, do you agree with that? Does it? That's what I was like. Does it? Like, is is uh, Jim Furyk? Is his career been tainted by it? Is um, you know Darren Clark's career been tainted by it? Tom Watson. I mean, Tom Watson lost, obviously lost at Glen Eagles, got absolutely thrashed. Like, if you if you're looking back over Tom Watson's career, where does Glen Eagles sit on it? Right at the bottom, if you ask me. Um, you know, Davis Love, obviously, was pretty close to to winning at Medina and then obviously um, managed to get revenge against Darren Clark a few years later, Corey Pavin. I'm, yep. just, I'm going down through that. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm reading them out is because it seems to me utterly ridiculous that we would suggest that someone's career can be tainted because they lost a Ryder Cup. I suppose the counter argument to that is people still now talk about Mark James at Brookline, uh, not playing players like Andrew Coulthard before the singles. You know, people still talk about um, the pairings Darren Clark made, I think, on the second afternoon when, you know, when Europe had got back to, I think, within a point, six and a half, yeah. five and a half, and then it sort of swept away. But so those, those is it, do you think it's more decisions that you make in the tournament rather than actually the result that, define captaincy and that's why I said I dodged the question about Poulter before we heard from McDowell because you know ultimately 
if it doesn't go right for Harrington, it's going to be largely, I think, on those wild cards that he's going to be judged. You know, he should have took Rose, shouldn't he have taken Rose? No, I, I, like I said, if I, if I knew who he should be taking, I'd be Ryder Cup captain or certainly be pushing for Ryder Cup captaincy. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is the decisions, isn't it? I mean, look, I mean, to use a football analogy, I mean, look at, take, for example, when Manchester United lost the Champions League final to Barcelona, Alex Ferguson, one of, the, one of the greatest managers of all time, if not the greatest manager of all time, makes some horrific decisions in that games in terms of starting lineup and substitutions, then they get thrashed by Barcelona. We're not looking back at Sir Alex Ferguson's career going, yeah, but he lost that Champions League final to Barcelona. And I think that that really, I'm, I'm not looking at Darren Clark's career and going, yeah, you know, he won the Open, had an unbelievable Ryder Cup career, but, you know, he played, he didn't play Chris Wood until the singles. I was like, Do you know what I mean? Like, it, for me, it just, that that shouldn't be what defines you as a Ryder Cup captain. But absolutely, of course, it is the decisions of the Ryder Cup captain that that are, you know, hit or, bu- hit or bust, basically. Tom Watson is another very good example. I already uh, mentioned him slightly before. You know, this guy, multiple major champion, genuinely considered one of the, the best players of all time. Um, I'm, I'm never going to look back at Tom Watson's career and think, oh, do you remember that press conference when Phil Mickelson threw him under the bus and then reversed over him several times? I mean, I was there in that press conference at Glen Eagles and it was one of the most astonishing things I've ever been a part of. Um, the atmosphere in the room, well, I mean, you could cut it with a knife. It was, uh, it was frankly uncomfortable. Um and at the time, and I know there were a lot of rumblings among the, uh, particularly among the American media, like can Tom, can Tom Watson recover from this? Can Phil Mickelson recover from this? I mean, neither of them did themselves any favours with how they, um, first of all, Tom Watson with, uh, you know, not being as good as, as Paul McGinley at being a captain uh, and Phil Mickelson for what he did to his captain. Um, but really, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, do, do we look back at that and say, well, you know, that, that's going to define Tom Watson's career. Of course we don't. Yeah, one of the things that set McKinley apart was his preparation. And um, that has not been unique to the 2014 Ryder Cup captain, the way that teams have been set up, the preparations that have gone into that have been detailed probably since Tony Jacklin started ensuring the team flew on Concord. Um, at Ilkley last week at the Welcome to Yorkshire Ian Woosnam Senior Classic. I caught up with the great man himself, the 2006 Ryder Cup winning captain at the K Club, to ask him about his preparations and what goes into making a successful Ryder Cup winning team. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty well captain for two years. And you know, from the day dot, I started doing my speech, I started doing my pairings, thinking about it, setting up the course, how it of course would be set up for the, the players who were in the team longer to short I put some trees in I put some bunkers in they were a little bit longer I wasn't into stats really but with, with, with driving stats I was not second shot but driving stats you know uh, yeah, so we, we wanted to be and then the rough around the greens we didn't want too much rough because they're used to that flop shot so the captain's job is to get all that stuff right get the clothing right the waterproofs right and basically it's making the players feel when they get there they're as comfortable as possible and to just go out and play a game of golf and be part of a team and enjoy it 
Yeah, interesting there from Ian Woosnam um, about preparation and everything from the waterproofs to ensuring that the players can be as comfortable as possible. Um, Paul McGinley is well known for now for basically having left nothing to chance, Alex, at the Glen Eagles Ryder Cup. I imagine Mr Harrington is of the same mind. Yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting Harrington to show up uh, without having done his homework. I mean... The, uh, captaining uh, a European team in America is, is a completely different beast than he would have done. This is what made me laugh mainly about um, when we were all speculating about who he was going to take as his, as his um, wildcard picks. Like he was just waiting for the BMW PGA to finish and then he was just going to pluck three names out of the air. I mean, those three uh, players that he chose in Garcia, Lowry and Porter would have been based on months and months of planning and, and data and I don't doubt that um, Harrington has been in touch with the likes of Darren Clark and, and Jose Maria, people that have captained at a, a, an away team. And, you know, the, he, he would have done his, he would have, since the day that he was announced as captain or found out he was going to be captain, he would have, he would have been doing his homework. I mean, I'm he, of all the people that I would have picked for an away captain, I think he's certainly one of them. I mean, you can look down the line going, you can even look down the line going forward a few years, couldn't you? Ian Poulter definitely should be captain in an away Ryder Cup. Justin Rose, if he's going to be captain, make it an away Ryder Cup. I mean, there, there are just certain players you feel um, suit that a bit better. And, and, and Harrington, for me, is one of those. I got the distinct impression that Harrington has largely decided on his four balls and foursomes already and had done before he selected his wild cards. There was a, a, an interview that we were... Um, happy to conduct with Rolex with Harrington, where he essentially said, you know, I think I've got the, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I think I've got the strongest European Cup, you know, Ryder Cup team in terms of strength and balance. And this was before he'd even picked the wild cards. And, 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 I, and I was reading this and I wrote about it and I thought, well, how can you know that unless you've already picked your team A and B, or you already know how they're essentially going to line up? Is there a danger of doing that, uh, given that, it doesn't leave a lot of space necessarily for this place spraying it around whistling straight or straight. Are you happy that the confidence is there and the battle plan is there that, um, as you said earlier on, you know, he's probably spent three years thinking about it. Well, he's, he's not only spent three years thinking about plan A, he's spent three years thinking about plans B and C and probably D as well. Um, I mean, he he's right he has got a really well balanced team there's uh, as we said before there's a lot of experience in this team and he'll he'll look to these players he'll look to the westwoods and the garcias to for that experience i mean harrington obviously hasn't been involved in every single Ryder cup for the last however many years but you know he's got players there that have i mean certainly in garcia who's been involved in every single Ryder cup since about the 80s but it feels like um so he'll look to these players to to turn up for him at Glen Eagles, we had this um, partnership between uh, Graham McDowell and Victor de Buisson that we that we fell in love with, and and yeah, but Harrington's probably. I know Wiesberger didn't qualify until, or technically didn't fully qualify until um, the end of the BMW PGA Championship. But he, because of Rory McIlroy not playing in that tournament, as I understand it, it meant that Wiesberger really only had to make the cut to qualify. So he would have been thinking about how he uses a player like Wiesberger, who obviously has zero Ryder Cup experience, has very little experience of playing in America. Um, 
he would have he would have known a long time ago that Hovland was going to be in his team, so he would have been thinking about Hovland. I'm I'd be gobsmacked if he was to reveal that Lowry wasn't a wild. I mean, for me, out of the options for the wild card, Lowry was the one that was was nailed on because you know he's won the Open, he's a friend of um, Harrington, he plays a lot of golf in America. I think it would have taken a lot for Harrington, uh, for, sorry for Lowry not to have been in the team. Can I see? A Poulter maybe putting his arm around a Wiesberger. I mean, Wiesberger's not a short hitter. Poulter is a short hitter. Maybe they're quite a nice team. Um, I'd really like to see those two go together. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, as you say, I think he would have been thinking about these partnerships, or sorry, he will have been thinking about these partnerships long, long time ago. The key is the plan B. Well, if Harrington is wondering how he can successfully pair up the likes of Bernd Wiesberger and Victor Hovland, he's got the perfect man in his backroom team to do that. The aforementioned Mr McDowell, who was so successfully tandemed with Victor de Buisson at Glen Eagles. And Alex caught up with McDowell, where they chatted about that now famous partnership. Yeah, you know... Victor, Victor is a is a really really sweet kid, you know, and and like, you know, he's he's a little bit of an an enigma, if you like, you know, it's super mega talented, um, you know, his personal life's got to be very complicated. Uh, I I know it's complicated, and you know, he feels victimized by the French press, and and you know, he has a lot of he has a lot of demons, you know. We all we all have our demons, right? I mean, I feel like Victor has a has a few more perhaps than some and uh which is unfortunate you know because he is such a talented kid i mean remember that world match play at tucson where he's getting up and down from the cactus and the rocks and you know he's such a talented player and uh you know it was great to have the opportunity to to put an armor on somebody it was my first time at a Ryder cup where i was old enough and good enough to you know old enough to murder, you know, I wasn't needed for five, five, five matches for, for the first time and, and, and kind of good enough to where, you know, I had the type of personality. And, and I think that's the key because not every, not every player has the personality where they want to get outside of themselves and help somebody else because there is so much intensity at Rudder Cup where taking care of yourself is hard enough. So have the ability to, to kind of want to, to, to take care of somebody else. And I think that helped me a lot. It helped take the pressure off me because I was very focused on kind of helping Victor ex enjoy his experience and get the most out of his game that week, you know? So it, it was nice. It was, it was a great, you know, I really enjoyed my experience. He played phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, like you said, I, I like I said, in the interview, you know, I love this kids because I was able to knock a few putts in, and uh, it was it was a, it was a super fun experience. But um, you know, he he you know he's a he's a great kid. Um, I enjoyed the opportunity to have a little bit of influence on him and his golf, um, and you know, it was a very very memorable memorable Ryder Cup. Personally, again, you know, for for different reasons completely. So uh, I, I certainly look back on on that one pretty fondly. Uh, some fascinating insight there from Graham McDowell and some valuable experience for Harrington to draw on. Well, he probably had enough of Alex and I prattling on and you want to find out who's going to win and where you can successfully put your cash. I'm delighted to be joined by NCG's betting expert, Barry Plummer. Welcome, Barry. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? 
Very good, thanks. Are you as excited about the Ryder Cup as we are? Obviously, I had to wait a while for it. Yeah, massively excited. Obviously, we all got um, the additional bonus of, of an unbelievably great Solheim Cup a few weeks ago, um, which in itself was a fantastic event, but has definitely got the excitement levels up even further for the Ryder Cup if we needed that any, any more. Um, and I think it's going to be a really intriguing affair with two very, very different squads. Yeah, I mean, I'll ask you later on about who you think is going to win. But I mean, in general, how do you think the two sides match up? Well, it's clear, isn't it, that the USA have um, an abundance of quality and some really, really exciting young players um, who we've seen on you know, the world stage for a number of years. But as you mentioned, with a delay in the Ryder Cup means that they've actually got you know, quite a number of, of rookies um, playing this year. Whereas with, um, with Europe, obviously, we're, we're seeing a totally different side of the spectrum. We've got um, a lot more experience players who've been there and done it on the, on the Ryder Cup stage a number of times uh, and have been really successful. So it's a definitely um, an intriguing one to try and work out. Is it easy to find value in an event like this where, you know, you probably have a very short priced favourite in the United States? You know, when we get into some of the markets with only, you know, a dozen players on each side, there's not, there's not a huge scope you would think for, um, big prices, but is it, have you? Do you think you can find value in the Ryder Cup from a betting perspective? Yeah, I think you've seen an increase over the last few years, um, the last few editions of the Ryder Cup in the amount of alternative markets that are offered by bookmakers, which make it a much more sort of enjoyable event, I suppose, for those who do enjoy having a, a small flutter on on the Ryder Cup. And you know, you can you can go through a number of markets now, whether you're betting on single days or whether you're betting on the correct result or whether it's combined point scorers or individual team performances. Um, it really does drill down into it now. And I think it's worth scouring through those because some of them do offer a little bit of value if you um, if you can find the right market. Now, we've asked you to concentrate on a couple of specific markets, which we'll get on to in a minute. They're obviously top combined point scorer, top wild card and winner. Um, we'll be able to ma to bet on a match-by-match -match basis, I presume, from Friday. We'll probably be able to bet on a shot-by-shot -shot basis with, with some firms. I mean, for those who uh, are looking at going for the matches themselves, four balls and foursomes, what advice would you give them about how to um, have a look at the form and, and, and do the work that's required? Because these are formats that we don't play very often. Yeah, I mean, I would tread carefully with the first the first wave of, of that sort of Friday morning, um, that Friday morning session and use that maybe as a bit of an analysis uh, area for you moving forwards in the week. I mean, you look at the Solheim Cup a few weeks ago uh, and Leona Maguire's performance. When you saw how well she did in that first match and getting that point, she really was a bit of a banker for the rest of the week and uh, stormed to, to be the top combined point scorer. So it was worth putting in your accumulators for your four balls, your foursomes. Um, as we went into um, the second day. So, yeah, I think it's, it's worth having a little look at the start. I mean, form is important, obviously, players coming into the event, but the Ryder Cup's a different beast. And um, I think that sometimes that does go out the window um, in an environment where uh, you're playing with somebody else and, and in a different format, sometimes that can be difficult to transfer. Well, let's get on to your selections then, because that's what people are here for. Um, and we asked you to look at the top combined point scorer. So that is the top point scorer on the event itself, whether Europe or the United States. And um, he's a price, isn't he, the world number one? Tell me why you think John Rahm is such good value. 
Yeah, I mean, the, t- typically the favourite actually doesn't do particularly well um, in this market, but Ram being the current world number one um, and definitely Europe's sort of leading hope and uh, shining star for this event, um, I, I think he's got he's got the quality and the ability, and I think he'll like that pressure um, to go and deliver. The fact that he is our our sort of leading hope for, for Team Europe it means that he's going to play, I think, a lot. And in order to be successful in this market, your your player that your selection needs to play. Um, and I would be very surprised if he wasn't out on the first session. Uh, that's a good indicator for whether um, somebody goes on to do well in this market as well as whether they play in that first session. Uh, on Friday morning, um, his, his recent form. I know I mentioned a minute ago about you know whether or not that's particularly relevant, but when you read it, two nine three three seven one withdrawal when he should have won, and then eight. I mean, it, top ten in his last what's that? Eight nine starts, which he's just on absolutely unbelievable run of form. And then when you look back to his his previous Ryder Cup appearance um, beating Tiger Woods to secure sort of a, a, a vital point for Europe uh, last time out um, shows that he's got the character there to really step up when it's needed and I think at, at seven to one that, that's that's a good price for, for somebody of that quality. Uh, let's move on to top wildcard. Decent market this time because there's so many of them. I mean Steve Stricker's picked six wildcards. Uh, Podrick Harrington's obviously picked three so nine to go at. Um, but you've gone for a very experienced man to deliver once again for punters. Yeah, Ian Poulter at 10 to 1, I think, is, is great value, mainly because you when you think of Ian Poulter, you think Ryder Cup, and it can be quite easy to be lazy and fall into thinking, oh, I'll just back Ian Poulter in the Ryder Cup because, you know, that, that's what he does. But at the same time, if you actually look at his recent form, he's been playing really, really good golf. Um, since the Masters he's only missed two cuts he's had two top five finishes um, it, we know his record at the Ryder Cup is great and because he's in and he's going to be you'd think a big player within that team in terms of being a leader um, I, I don't know if, if uh, listeners follow him on um, on Instagram but he's already getting very excited and G'd up if you, if you follow him on there it's a good watch um, for some of the things he's doing and getting himself prepared um, and I think from that position, he's going to want to get out. I think he'll, he'll play in the first, uh, the first round of games. Uh, and I think he's going to want to get out and set the standard for the team. Um, when we haven't got, obviously, the spectators there that we'd, we'd like and numbers that we'd like, I think um, he's, going to, he's going to want to put on a bit of a show for those back at home. And when you look at the actual market itself, you've got some strong Americans at the top. Um, I think Spieth and um there's another player that skates me at the top of the market which is you know they're strong players and he's going to need to overcome them but then you're looking at players like Shane Lowry who's obviously a, a rookie but again very talented um and I think that he's maybe got a bit more experience um, and form when you add them together whereas Westwood and Garcia although they're very experienced their form hasn't been as as solid and I think um when you're looking at the prices I think that's quite reasonable yeah, played four games at uh, Le Golf National three years ago. Do you expect him to get um, as big a workout there? He played, I think he played both foursomes and one four ball um, in 2018. I mean, like foursomes probably feels to me where he might, where he might sort of shine again. I, I would have a slight concern about his length on what's going to be a very, very long golf course. But my concerns aside, do you do you expect him to get as heavy a workout as he did in Paris? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because it's, it depends on how Harrington um, plays it in terms of um, the, the weighing up the experience versus, you know, these, these younger players perhaps who, who might cope better with a physical test. Um, I think that when you look at the, the partnerships, that's going to be important to whether this market is going to be um, successful or not. Obviously, if he plays well with a, a partner who, who maybe um, has got that length and can play that as their advantage, then that's going to help him out in terms of point scoring earlier on in those combined um, sort of team pairs um, areas. But I think that I, I would, I'm going to make a prediction. I think he will play um, with somebody like Ram, uh, who's played with before, um, and if he, if he plays with somebody who um, has got that sort of ability to support him in that way and he can support with his experience, then I think he's a good play um, at 10 to 1. Interesting. I'd love to see him play with Victor Hovland um, because, I think, because I think Hovland is Hovland is very, very good tee to green and off the tee. And I think Poulter could be the one that holds the putts in foursomes. I think that could be. Um, and the kind of old hand young gun partnership would be an interesting one for me but um certainly uh Poulter and Rama Rama on fire that would be that would be quite the exciting chest thumping partnership as well wouldn't it so really interesting to see what what Harrington does there um let's get to the nub of it then I mean these things are about winners who is going to win the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits oh I've let my my uh, heart rule my head a little bit here and I've gone for Europe mainly because um at the price you get them at 6 to 4 um they have a lot more value than than the US the US there isn't really any value in picking a US win at this point in time um they're like 1 to 2 odds on and um and that's for good reason obviously we know that they've got uh, that really strong quality throughout but at the same time I mentioned that there is that sort of standoff between quality and the experience that we have and obviously those experienced players have have that element of quality as well when you look at the, the fact that the us have six rookies and a combined 12 appearances at the Ryder cup between the whole team um you then look at the opposite for for team europe and they have three rookies and a combined 38 uh, previous Ryder cup appearances it's you know they're they're off the off the scale in terms of the amount of Ryder cup golf they've played in comparison and whilst these young American uh, players are fantastic, this is a totally different challenge and a different beast. And I think that, you know, I suppose I'm being optimistic, but I think that that, that will play heavily into the, uh, the outcome of this event. And, you know, again, it can, it can be really easy to just say, do you know what, USA are going to steamroll it. But I, I, I've just got a feeling that I can't see that happening this time around. And, uh, with a little bit of uh, value for Team Europe, it'll make it that much more exciting come Sunday if we're still in it. I'm not going to let you get away without having a little tinker at the points market in terms of the outright score, because given that you're having a look at Europe, you're going to be getting some huge prices on European victories, aren't you? I mean, I'm looking at just looking at um, the odds makers at the moment, you know, Europe 16, 12, 16 to 1. Europe 17, 11, 33 to 1. If you're going a bit closer, 14 and a half, 13 and a half Europe, 10 to 1. There are some, there are some big prices there if you're prepared to sort of stick your neck out and go Europe and try and get the score. What do you like? Yeah, again, I, I like the look of those prices. I think they're, they're, they're value. If you want a bit of interest, then you don't want to, you know, like I said, part with a lot of money and you want some small stakes, you can get some great value there and you've got a whole whole three days worth of watching and uh, and something to cheer on come Sunday. But 
I mean, when you look towards the, the other end, the, the, I suppose the lower end of the prices for Team Europe, I mean, 15, 13, um, I, I do think it's going to be close. I don't think there's going to be, if we do win, I don't think it's going to be a runaway victory. And I think it will be something that will need to come down to Sunday. But um, 15, 13 and, and 16, 12, 12 to 1 and 16 to 1 are, um, are appealing, I suppose. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't like to predict at this point in time, but when it comes to the weekend, I will be having a, uh, a correct score bet probably on Saturday evening, same as I did at the Solheim Cup. And obviously I'll tweet that out as to uh, to what I fancy because that was successful for us last time and got us a nice little bit of extra profit. Yeah, look forward to seeing that. Um, it's the best week in the biennial or whatever three years is this time. It's the best week in golf. Uh, it's going to be one of the best betting weeks as well. Please remember, uh, if you want to follow Barry and all of his tips, there'll be plenty going on in his columns this week. Uh, check them out on nationalcupgolfer.com. Please remember to gamble responsibly. Barry, enjoy the week. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, you too, Steve. Thanks very much. Well, Barry's nailed his colours to the master. Alex, do you agree with him? Who do you think is going to win the Ryder Cup? Uh, I... Look, I, the last few Ryder Cups, I mean, if you take the, the freak final day out of Medina um, and if, if USA had gone on to win that as we expected, then you're looking at basically the last seven or eight Ryder Cups going with the home team. Do I think that's going to happen this time? Oh, God. You think I'd, I would have thought about this already? I, and I think that just tells you how close I think this might be. Um, do you know what? When was the last time we had a draw? There's a draw due here somewhere. Surely there's a 14-14 due around now sometimes. Come on. 1989 was the last time there was a draw in the Ryder Cup. I mean, you'll get... 14-14. That's where I'm going. 14-14, Europe retain the Ryder Cup. 14-14. Well, if you want to back 14-14, you can get the draw currently at 12-1. to Um, I would like to be patriotic um, for our continent um but i think it's very difficult now in the in the united states i think that rider cups are generally um home and away sort of affairs and this american team feels to me like it like it could be exceptional whether we'll rank it on the level of the 1981 squad at walton heath will only time can tell um, but I think if you're looking for an outright score, I think USA 16-12 is 12 to 1. 17-11 um, is 16 to 1. The last couple of Ryder Cups have been a blowout in sense of the score, although it has been close at various points. It was close at Hazel time that the um, going into the afternoon session on the second day. And there was a period at the Golf National where it could have gone either way for a little while. So these things can be tight, but inevitably the stronger team pulls out. And I think that the USA is just a stronger team on this occasion. Don't at me, especially if it goes the other way. Um, I'm going to be atting you if it goes the other way. <laughs> but let's hope I'm wrong. I do hope I'm wrong. I will obviously be cheering Europe all the way. I just think it's going to be a very difficult test for them. But... Let's see how it goes. Uh, three days of fantastic action ahead, Alex. We are looking forward um, to all the build-up. Thanks for joining me on this special podcast and uh, enjoy the week. No worries. Thanks, Steve. Can't wait.